Amen. Amen. So as I said, the main text is Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 3. So it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Amen. 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 Let's find our energy. Amen. Amen. So the bit I want to focus on is verse 2, the latter part of verse 2 that says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So the title of my message this morning is Preparing for a Great Name. Amen. This scripture was God's promise to Abraham. And in church, we sing that song, Abraham's blessings are mine, because we believe that as children of faith, as children of God, whatever promises was made to Abraham are also promises that we can benefit from because of our faith through Christ Jesus. Amen. Abraham was a man of faith. And so when God made him these promises, he truly believed. And throughout the word, we see how it was manifested. And in the same way, we also have to believe that same promise. So when God says, I will make your name great, it wasn't just for Abraham. It's for you. Say amen. amen. Say, I believe, I believe that, God that God will make my name great. So like I said earlier, the new year is a perfect time for you to believe this message and for you to have all the hope and all the assurance that God is truly going to make your name great. But the danger is when you start to think about that greatness, you start to measure it by human standards, by our flesh, by the things that we know. So you start to think, is it that I'm going to become a millionaire? Is it that I'm going to get married? Is it that I'm going to have children? Is it that I'm going to get that job? You start to measure by your own yardstick of the things that you believe and the things that you want for yourself. And if you're anything like me, you're going to start wondering, well, God, exactly how are you going to make my name great? What is it that you're going to do so that I know, so that I can see it, so that I can tick it as it comes along? Today, I want us to forget the human standard of everything. And I want us to turn to the word of God. And I want us to look at the people or one person in particular that God made their name great and see exactly what God did for this person and how this person was prepared for a great name. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the word of God is given for instruction. Another version says it's given uh, for teaching. So it's to teach us and to help us recognize. So we're going to learn from the word this morning. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at David and how he was prepared for a great name. So David was one of Jesse's sons. Um, There was very little that we actually know about much of David's early life. But what we do know is that he spent the majority of his time in his father's field tending to the flocks, right? So he was with the lambs and the sheep and everything else. That's where he spent the majority of his time. And to some extent, you could probably say he was a loner because... He was alone, that he didn't have any other human interaction when he was tending to the flocks. So this morning, I want to share a couple of things with us, because despite him being a loner, he was a loner that was destined for greatness. Amen. 
So if you sometimes feel like a loner, look at David and know that actually, if he was destined for greatness, surely I am destined for greatness, amen. So I'm gonna share five things that I learned from studying the life of David and what it means to be prepared for a great name. So what it means, five things in terms of what it means to be prepared for a great name. So the first thing that you have to know is that for you to be prepared or for you to prepare for a great name, you have to be ready to be molded and to be shaped. So God had a plan. He had a design intended for David, just as he does for every single one of us sat here. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans for you to plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So God has a plan for every single one of us. That is the fundamental thing that you have to believe. Regardless of what's going right, what's going wrong, you have to know that God has a plan for you. We have the privilege of seeing it written in black and white in the word of God. David didn't know it. He didn't have a Bible to refer to, but we have that privilege. Earlier this week, my cousin texted me. She often texts me a lot of random questions about the Bible. So she texts me, she says, I know you're a Christian. I know you believe in Jesus, but why do you believe in the word? And I was like, oh gosh, this is a good question because I, I just believe, like, I don't even think about it. I just believe. And so my response to her was that, well, first of all, all my experiences, everything, the life that I lived just keeps adding up to the fact that there is a God. And if I believe there's a God, there must be certain things that he wants us to do. There must be ways that he wants us to live. So my only conclusion is that the word of God is true and I have to believe that word. So in the same way, when God says, I have a plan for you, you have no choice but to believe it. Because if you believe there is a God, you have to believe in his word. Amen. Are you following me? Great. So David was a shepherd, right? So he spent most of the time tending to his father's flock, which meant he was alone, as I said. But that time alone was perfect to allow God to craft him into who he needed to become. So he needed to spend that time alone to develop the character, the traits, all the attributes that were going to make him into a great name. He needed to be alone for that. Amen? And we're going to go into that and see that a little bit later. But the only things he was surrounded by was animals. He didn't have any human contact. He was isolated. And to some extent, you could probably say he was in the wilderness to some extent. And then I cast my mind back to when we were doing the Jesus challenge. And one of the things that I took away from uh, the Jesus challenge, or one of the things that I learned was the significance of the wilderness. I noticed a pattern that whenever God wanted to do something with someone or whenever God wanted to prepare someone for something great, he took them to the wilderness. He took John the Baptist to the wilderness. Moses was in the wilderness. Jesus went to the wilderness. And I believe that this is David's wilderness. He wasn't in a physical wilderness, but he was isolated. He was alone. He was in a space that was just his mind, his thoughts, and the animals around him but it meant he could be molded into what he needed to be. He could develop the things that he needed to develop. David was a young boy, he, you know, a teenager whilst he was doing this. So I'm sure if he had a choice, he would have preferred to go outside and play with his friends. He didn't want to stay, you know, tending to his father's flocks. But I wrote down in my note that you are the clay, not the potter. 
David needed to be molded, and for that to happen, he had to be alone. So sometimes you just have to go with what God is telling you. If he's going to mold you for that great name, it's not your choice to be like, God, I want to be like this. This is the shape I'm going after. You just have to listen to the potter. Amen. So what's the first thing you have to do? Be ready to be molded and shaped. Amen. The second thing you also have to be ready for is you have to be alert. Amen. As I said, the fundamental thing is to believe that God has a plan for you, has a plan to make your name great. He wants to shape you. And part of that plan might require you to go to the wilderness, might require you to be isolated, might require you to participate part of that journey, to do specific things as part of that journey. And in that, when God tasks you with different elements as part of your journey, there's going to come along Satan, who's going to be really crafty and who's going to try and distract you and mess up the plan. Last year, again, at Jesus Conference, I made a pledge to God and I said, God, you will always be my number one priority. Not long after that pledge, I was offered a new job and to move to South Africa. And I was like, yay, let's go. You know, for me, I love like new countries experiencing. So if I was making a decision for myself, it was a come, let's go. Like there's, no, there's nothing stopping us. But then I remember the pledge I made to God and I was like, God, this is going to be a distraction. And somehow God took me through that journey to help me get to the point that I have to commit to my word. The journey of where he's taking me to, his plan, meant I couldn't move to South Africa. Amen. So what do you do when distraction comes? I wrote down that you have to be like Nehemiah and say no. So if you turn very quickly to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. So the context of the scripture is this. Nehemiah had committed to rebuilding the, the walls around Jerusalem. They had built the wall. They were almost at the sort of finishing stages. All that was left was maybe to put the doors or the gates in. And then the enemies heard about this and heard about everything they had been doing and wanted to destroy it, right? So they sent a message to Nehemiah and they said, come down. You know, come hang with us, come chill with us, let's see you. And he replied to them and said, sorry, no, I can't come down. Can you just go to verse 4 very quickly? Nehemiah 6, verse 4. Oh, sorry, start from 3 and, and, and go into 4, so 3 and 4. So he said, he sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on with a great project and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? He was saying, why should I be distracted from doing my father's work? Why should I stop what God has called me for to come and answer to you? They sent a message to him four times and all four times he said, no thanks. You know, sometimes when we get distracted, when other things try and pull our attention for what God really has called us for, maybe you can fight it the first time. Maybe you're even good enough the second time. And then the third time, you think, maybe it's the will of God for me to just go down. Let me just go down. Let me just see what they have. But actually, this man stuck by his guns, and he said, no, this is not what God has called me for. I'm staying focused on what I've been called for. Amen. What's even more beautiful about this scripture is that he had an appreciation for the work that he was doing was great. He didn't complain. He didn't say, 
let me just take a break. Oh, gosh, I need to finish that thing God has called me for. I don't really like it, but I can't come down. He said, I'm doing a great work, a great project. So he recognized that what he's doing, I'm sure building the walls weren't easy, but yet he described it as a great work. In the same way, we have to recognize, regardless of how painful it is, whatever God has called us to do is a great work, and we have to be bold enough to say no when distractions come. Amen. I wrote down that other people didn't see David, you know, if his father had a glimpse of what was coming, he wouldn't have told him to stay in the fields. He would have treated him like the king that he was. But regardless of that, David stuck with what his father told him, the same way Nehemiah just stuck with what God has told him to do. Amen. Amen. What was number two? Be yeah, to be alert. Thank you. So number three is that you must never doubt that God is in it. He is involved. And write down he's involved in capital letters. You must never doubt that God is in it. He is involved. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, Whipping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Remember that God has a plan. And it didn't say that plan is going to be perfect, it's going to be smooth sailing, it's going to be easy for you, but he has a plan. And when I thought about David, part of God's plan for David was setting a time for him to be recognized. Setting a time where David's name was going to come up somewhere or David would be recognized. And that time came when God sent a sign to Prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 1, when he says, go to the house of Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. David didn't know this. But God has sent a message. He has sent a sign to someone who was going to play a part in David becoming that great name. And what happened immediately was Samuel invited Jesse to the service and he said, come along, come with your sons. And the moment he saw Jesse's sons, well, he saw seven of them, he looked at the first one, he looked at Eliab and he said, surely he must be the one that God has picked. He looked, he was tall, it was handsome, it was chiseled, he had it all going on, and he thought, yeah, that's the one. And what that showed me was that sometimes other people look the part in terms of what God has called you for, but it's not theirs, it's yours. So he looked at, not only did he look at Eliab, he looked at all seven sons, because when he looked at Eliab, God responded and says, don't judge by physical appearance. He says, don't judge by appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them, but judges by, the people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel had judged based on this guy's physical appearance, that he looks apart, right? The same way he judged the other brother, he was like, okay, if it wasn't you, surely it must be that one, it must be. He went through all seven of them, and every single one God said no to. Do you know what that told me? I wrote down that don't concern yourself with if you look the part for greatness. If God doesn't permit it, your blessing cannot rest on somebody else. It is your blessing. No one can take it if God doesn't permit it. All seven brothers look the part physically, right? They look like they could have been, but God said no. And Samuel then said to Jesse, none of these men are the men that God has chosen. And then he asked Jesse, do you have another son? And this is where it got interesting for me, right? 
Because that was one just like, oh, yeah, there's one more somewhere, right? He was like, there's one outside in the fields. You know, he's turned into the flocks. He didn't get excited and be like, oh, my goodness, yes, that's my son. Let me go get him. Let me bring him in. Surely he must be the one, right? He was just like, yeah, there's one more outside, but surely it can't be him. It wasn't until Samuel said, go fetch the boy, go bring him, that David actually came in. I would have been really upset if that was my mom or dad and wasn't really excited. But again, that told me that your confidence shouldn't come from human affirmation or even your family. It should come from Christ alone. Samuel, who was a prophet. Sorry, Pastor, I'm about to shade you here. Samuel, who was a pastor, Samuel, who was a prophet, didn't even know, you know, this was the man of God. He judged by sight. Pastor sometimes isn't going to know. No offense, pastor. So you have to always key into the spirit and pray that God, when you're going to send men to favor me, let them not operate by sight, but let them be led by the spirit. Amen? What was number three? I didn't hear that, but I'm going to go with it. Amen, amen. Okay, number four, number four, because we're going to pray, we're going to pray. Number four is you must be prepared to seize the opportunity. Amen. A great name requires a great opportunity, right? So when God's plan for you kicks into motion, don't automatically assume that you've arrived because when David was picked out, he was anointed. He didn't automatically become king. He still had to go for a journey, right? But he was favored enough to stand out. So he went into the temple. He served Saul. He still had to go through a process. But what was really amazing was that there was an opportunity coming that was going to set David apart. He had one opportunity, and he had to be prepared for it. And I wrote down that opportunity was to defeat Goliath. If we quickly read Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, only verse 11 says, I have not seen anything else under the sun. Sorry, correction. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. The reason I read the scripture is that when... Well, what I wrote down is what makes you great is your response when time and chance comes by your way, right? I don't believe in anything else more than I believe in that concept of time and chance. If you look at David, and if you read uh, from sort of uh, 1 Samuel 17, uh, from verse 12 onwards, if you read David was going about an ordinary day, his father has said to him, take food to your brothers who were fighting against the Philistines, right? So take food to them, they're in the army. And that was when the opportunity came for David. And what was really interesting in terms of time and chance is that his brothers had the same opportunity, if not they had more than David did to achieve what David achieved, but they failed. They had 40 times more opportunity than David because in 1 Samuel 17, 16, it says for 40 days, Every morning and evening, the Philistines' champions strutted in front of the Israelites' armies. So his brothers were part of the army. They were fighting against the Philistines. They were trying to defeat Goliath. 
40 days, right? They had every opportunity to defeat him, but they failed every single time. But then the time and the chance came for David. That tells me that God is a fair God. Time and chance happened to all of them. It happened to his brothers the same way it happened to David. The only difference is David seized the opportunity and he defeated Goliath. So when your time, when your chance comes, you have to seize it. You have to take it in that moment, which means you have to be ready for it in that moment. The same time, the same chance God presents to all of us. He is a just God. You can't make excuses that I didn't have the time, I didn't have the chance. The time will come, the chance will come. The question is, are you ready to take the opportunity? Amen. Amen. I wrote down that David went about his morning as normal that day. He didn't expect what the day will bring. He was just taking food to his brothers. Today might just be the day. Always be ready. Amen. And then number five is that you must also be prepared for the opportunity. You must also be prepared for the opportunity. You don't have, not only do you have to seize the opportunity, you have to be prepared for that opportunity. Only a fool will go into to sit an exam that they haven't prepared for. Right? So you prepare, the opportunity is coming, you prepare for it. This isn't mine, but something that someone by the name of my grandfather said to me is that every time you're about to come into greatness, there is an invisible gate and its gatekeeper. And for you to step into that greatness, you need to cross the great, that gate by defeating its gatekeeper. Picture that being said in Yoruba and then been translated to English, but we, we got there. So he said, every time you're about to come into greatness, there is an invisible gate that's there and there's a gatekeeper for that gate, right? And for you to step into that greatness, you have to cross the gate by defeating its gatekeeper. So for David, the gate he needed to cross into was victory, and the gatekeeper was Goliath. He needed to defeat Goliath. And if he didn't defeat Goliath, he probably wouldn't have become king. That's my theory. I could be wrong. And what was different in that instance is that David's mindset was different from everybody else's. People around him saw Goliath and thought, this is a huge giant that's going to beat David. But David saw a giant that was so big that he wasn't going to miss it, right? <laughs> He's so big in front of him, the opportunity of him missing was going to be really slim. So he had a mindset that said, I'm going to beat this guy. And he spoke in that way. If you read um, 1 Samuel 16, or sorry, 1 Samuel 17, round about verse 30 to 40, everything that David said was like with so much confidence and so much boldness that, gosh, I'm going to beat this guy. Goliath was a big problem and a huge mountain. And as I read this, I learned one lesson from it, that you don't always have to pray for a lighter burden. Sometimes you have to pray for a stronger back to carry that burden. I was sharing that with Marilyn and Fumi a couple of weeks ago, that sometimes we just don't pray, God, make this burden lighter, because that burden might just be part of your journey. It might be what you need to go through. So don't pray, Lord, take this burden away. Lord, make it lighter. So say, God, give me a stronger back to be able to carry this burden. Give me the courage to overcome the strength to win this battle. Let's not always run away. 
And David didn't run away. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, David said, don't worry about the Philistines. I will go fight him. And Samuel was just like, what, what, this little boy, what are you, like, I do that in like a Jamaican accent. Can you imagine the response? Like, what are you doing, you little boy? Like, he was just thinking, like, who do you think you are? You are nothing more than just a child. You know when you say something to your parent and they look at you like, get out of here. That's how I pictured how Samuel responded to David when he said, he'll go fight Goliath. Like, get out of here. You're just a child. And then I asked myself, the way David said it, surely this guy had so much confidence and boldness because it says, don't worry, I will go fight him. I can't imagine a nervous guy saying that, right? The way it just sounded like something that was said with so much courage. And I asked myself, do I have that same courage when challenges come, when obstacles come my way? Do I have that same boldness to declare my victory? Because for him to have said that, he must have known that I can beat this guy. So do I have that much confidence in my victory to be able to say I'm ready for this fight? And what's even more interesting, I love how New, um, New Living Translation Bible puts it. It says, David persisted. So when Samuel said to him, you're just a little boy, go sit down. He persisted, right? He kept saying, no, like, I can do it. Let me go. Let me do it. Let me do it. Until Samuel said, okay, I hear you. You can do it. And sorry, David's response to Samuel was so interesting. He said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When, the, when a lion comes or a bear comes to try and steal the lamb or the flock, I defeat them. What he was saying to him was that I'm prepared for this. I have been prepared my whole life for this. Like, I can do this. I, he's just another lion. He's just someone else that I would defeat, right, who was trying to steal the lambs and the sheep. So I can do this. So it wasn't just a question of confidence. It was that David knew that he was prepared for it, right? And what's really interesting, in verse 37, he said, the Lord who has rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So David wasn't just relying on his own ability. He was also trusting God to rescue him, right? He was saying, I've been prepared for it, but I trust God even more to rescue me from this mission. I'm not just relying on my own ability, my own strength, for this, I'm prepared and I'm also asking God, I'm putting my trust in God to keep me. So I wrote down, put your confidence in God. Your ability may fail, but God never fails. If you think about the Israelite armies, they had 40 opportunities and these are trained men, these are skilled experts. They had 40 opportunities and their ability failed. David had one opportunity and he succeeded. He succeeded because he was prepared, but he also put his trust in God. Amen. Amen. So I hope that's been encouraging for someone. And I want us to pray about these four things. So I hope you've captured all four things. In the same way, I've got four prayer points this morning. And I'm going to ask everyone to rise up on their feet and join me as we pray about these things. We are preparing for God to make our name great. He has promised in his word to make our name great. And for that to happen, it means we need to be prepared. And I've prepared four prayer points around that. So the first is Philippians chapter two, verse 13. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
First thing I want you to pray is that God do with me as you please. It is you who works in me and through me. Lord, come and do with me as you please. Lord, mold me, shape me as you please. Shape me so that I can fit into that plan, that design, that blueprint that you have for my life. Lord, prepare me for it. Mold me for it. Lord, help me to trust your plan. Help me not to try and take decisions into my own hands, not to try and act alone, but to trust in you as your word says that you work and you will act in order to fulfill your good purpose. Lord, help me to trust you, Lord. Help me to relinquish that control. Lord, in this new year that I have entered, Lord, everything that I'm going to do, let it be according to that plan, that design, that blueprint that you have for my life. Lord, help me to see your plan. I might not see the whole thing in one, but help me to see every step. Let my mind, Almighty Father, let it be in tune. Let my spirit, let it be in tune, Lord, with your word and with your purpose for my life. Amen. Second thing we're going to take from Nehemiah 6.3. Like I said, he was, he was doing a great work, so he refused to come down. So I want you to pray, Lord, help me to recognize the importance and the purpose of everything that you tasked me to do. Sometimes I'm blinded by the very thing or the other things that I want to do that I think what you've tasked me to do in the moment is irrelevant. Help me to stay focused and to be alert to that thing that you've called me to do. Help me not to lose focus of what you have called me to. Lord, in the same way as Nehemiah, give me the courage to say no when distraction comes. Give me the courage to say no when people come around to try and sway me away from the things that you've called me for, when distractions, when even the things, the distractions that come pose as opportunities, when they come my way, Lord, help me to stay focused on you and on you alone. Amen. Now, I'm not sure if you see God in everything, but I really think in 2019, it's important that we do so. And for us to do so, that means we have to operate in the realm of the spirit and not in our physical being. And in Psalms 57 verse 8, David prayed and he said, awake my soul. So in that same way, I want you to call your soul to awaken this morning so that you can see God in everything because your flesh man isn't going to see God it is your spirit that is going to see God in everything so you're going to say awake my soul let me see God in everything Lord Lord let me see you let my soul be awoken Lord let me operate in the spirit Lord let me operate in the spirit and not by flesh almighty father Lord Lord I relinquish every power of my flesh over to the spirit Lord Lord, let my spirit be awakened. Let it hear, let it see, let it, let it experience you in every single day, Lord. As I wake, as I go about my daily activities, Lord, in every single thing that I do, 
all throughout 2019, Lord, let me see you in it. Let me see your power in it, Almighty Father. Amen. That scripture in Ecclesiastes 9-11 says, time and chance happens to them all. I want you to pray, Lord, help me to discern the right opportunities for my life. You're going to say, Lord, let me not miss my time or chance. Let me seize the right opportunities. Let me know when the right opportunities come. Let me be in the right place at the right time so that I can tap into those moments. I can have those opportunities. And lastly, we're going to pray with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, take advantage of every opportunity because these times are evil. You're going to say, for me to take advantage, it means I need to be prepared. Lord, prepare me for my opportunity. Father, prepare me for my opportunity. Everything that I need to do, Lord. Lord, I'm ready to go through the wilderness. Say that prayer if you really mean it. I'm ready, almighty Father, Lord, to go to the battleground, Lord. Lord, prepare me for my opportunity lord help me lord to take advantage of the right opportunities lord so only you know what opportunity you're waiting for in 2019 so i want you to speak to god about that specific area that thing that you're seeking god for that thing that you're asking god to reveal himself in. In Jesus' name. And so, Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for speaking to, our, to us, Lord, this morning. Lord, thank you for making our name great, Lord. Lord, we ask as a church, Lord, prepare us for greatness, Lord. In 2019, Lord, I pray that our name will be great, Lord. This church will be great, Almighty Father, Lord. Lord, in every way that you need to shape and mold us, Almighty Father, Lord, we surrender to you. And we say, Lord, have your way with us, Lord God. Lord, keep us focused, Lord. Help us to stay alert, Almighty Father, Lord. And let us not miss those opportunities, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. Amen.